Brandon Marcus with my co-host Matt Matt Warren after a long week where I was in Vegas broadcasting the Big West Tournament. We were hoping to get a pod out beforehand on that Monday uh, to recap the Sunday game, but just time didn't allow, family stuff didn't allow, and then I was off to Las Vegas, and so at that point, we couldn't record a podcast, and so here we are, and three games have occurred since we taped a podcast, my friend Matt, but before we get into those, how are you, buddy? Sports ethos, Clipper Nation, Brandon, Triple Sevens, Las Vegas Marcus, how are you? How the heck are you? It's so good to be back talking to you. Yeah, a lot's changed uh, in Clipperland since we last spoke, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the last time we spoke was when the Clippers um, lost by one point to Sacramento, I believe it was, on that Friday the 3rd. Since then, the Clippers have returned home and rattled off wins against Memphis, Toronto, and the Knicks. And honestly, all three good wins. I think Toronto is a pain in the neck to play against. Memphis has shown that even without John Morant, they are a very good team. Even without Steven Adams, um, they were obviously shorthanded in that game. No Brandon Clark either, but still, a win is a win. Because how many times have we seen the Clippers face off against teams that were shorthanded and lost? So, a win is a win. And then the Clippers take on the Knicks team that has been one of the best road teams in the NBA, and they beat them. So, we're looking good right now all of a sudden. Um, obviously, a very pessimistic tone that we had the last time we recorded a podcast. And all of a sudden, the Clippers have gone from, I believe they were the 8th spot when we last recorded, all the way up to the 5 spot. They're a half a game up on Golden State, who's currently playing. They're a game up on Minnesota. And they are two games up on Dallas. And you look and you see Luka's hurt. Um, the Lakers have LeBron hurt. The Pelicans are the Pelicans. They have guys in and out of the lineup. Minnesota still doesn't have Towns. And all of a sudden, we're back at where we thought the Clippers would be in the top six, considering that they're now one of the most healthy teams, and they have PG and Kawhi healthy, knock on wood. Um, things have changed, my friend. First off, let's discuss um, the last game, because you were at it. And we can t- kind of talk about the last three games as a whole in terms of where the Clippers are. But you got a chance to go to that game against the Knicks, um, the matinee ball club on Sat, the matinee game on Saturday. I got a chance to actually watch the game pretty much from start to finish on the bus ride home from Vegas. I popped on that Bally app to uh, support my buddy Brian Seaman, and I got a chance to watch that game. And the Clippers looked pretty good for the most part. I mean, the first part of the game, the Clippers couldn't make a shot. And neither could the Knicks, but Julius Randle was had it held in check. The Clippers got big buckets when they needed to. Paul George and Kawhi were fantastic. How was the game uh, actually being there? It was fantastic being there. Like you said, last time we last time we spoke, last time we were talking to Sports Ethos Clipper Nation here, it was a little bit doom and gloom. And I don't, th- I don't really think you can blame us for that because it was certainly going in the wrong direction. Things have turned around. I was luck- lucky enough to go to that Knicks game on Saturday. And, you know, I always have a bit of a trepidation when it's an afternoon game for the Clippers because for some reason, and I don't know what it is, maybe Kawhi is a huge party animal. Maybe it's just being in L.A. or whatever the case may be. Afternoon games are never kind. But... Mm-hmm. That game was very kind to us. And I had a few takeaways from it. Uh, first and foremost being that Clipper Nation, 
and I'm sure there were some sports ethos Clipper Nation people scattered amongst uh, the crowd in there. I, I could I could tell. I could just feel it. And there there were the, the Bing Bong bunch was there, right? Like there were a lot of Knicks fans, as you as you might yeah, of course, as you might expect. But it was different from when, if you remember, I went to the when the Celtics were in town. Yes. And it was back and forth, back and forth, as far as cheering and rooting for your respective team, be it your hometown Clipper fan or a Boston transplant. In this game, and I don't know if it came across on TV, but Clipper Nation was lit on Saturday. And I don't use that term lightly because, like I said before, I'm older than LeBron James. So I don't like to say the word lit unless I really mean it. And Clipper Nation was lit. It was so exciting in there. Everybody was chanting, high-fiving up on every shot. When when uh, when PG had the alley-oop to Kawhi, I mean, the, the roof nearly came off the Crypto.com arena and blew all the way over to Intuit Dome. It was awesome. It was a great atmosphere. Maybe it was like more of a playoff atmosphere. Maybe we're starting to get that vibe now. But the atmosphere in there was great. So that was the first... That was my first takeaway. I don't know if it came across on TV or not, but that was great. Yeah, I mean, I got some of that, and um, even following the game on Twitter as well, when I had went through some rough spots, it seemed like that was the case, that the fans were into it, and it helps when you're making shots. I mean, the first half I mentioned was just awful, and then all of a sudden the Clippers started making shots, and it's funny because um, you, I'll let you get into your second point in a second. But you tweeted at halftime that the Clippers need to – their key to the winning is rebounding. And then you look at the rebounding total overall. And they got out rebounded 54-39, um, 20 offensive rebounds for the Knicks, and seven for the Clippers. And with Mitchell Robinson around, it's going to be tough. I mean, the guy's an incredible rebounder, and he had 14 rebounds. Eight of those were offensive. So eight of the 20 came from one guy. Four from Emmanuel Quickly. Quickly is probably not the best recipe for success. Um, but the Clippers still got the win, and that was despite having um, a big discrepancy on the boards, down 15 boards. Um, they had 12 less made free throws. The, the thing was, they just made more shots, and they finally showed that they have the better players, and so they should be making those shots. I mean, when you have Kawhi and Paul George, and those two combined to make 24 shots, you're going to be in pretty good shape, especially when they're 24 of 43 and it's over 50%. So it was a good win, and that'll certainly get the crowd going. What was your second takeaway? So the second takeaway, and you alluded to it, was the rebounding. It was insane. Yeah. Like the Clippers are very lucky to get that win. The rebound discrepancy was very tough. And it, I know Mitch Robb had double digit rebounds, mm -hmm. but. From what I saw out there, and I, and God love him, but Plumlee was getting cooked. Like he 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 did have his moments. Like he he didn't play that terribly. I mean, at least he hit his free throws. Uh, but even when Hartenstein was on, like Plumlee just couldn't get anything going. When Zoo was out there, and I know the numbers may not reflect it because they have similar numbers, but I I I'm telling you, when when Zubach was out there, and you're you're looking at it in person, it's like you you realize why you and I say how important Zoo is, and Plumlee's a great. A great backup yeah but he just he was getting eaten alive on on the on on defensive glass on the offensive glass like it it wasn't a pretty sight to see so i did tweet that that, that the clippers need rebounds should should they want to win this game and they they did win it despite the rebounding but they got lucky to do so and 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 you alluded to it because they made so many shots and my third thing 
that I saw, and I like to I like to pay attention to this quite a bit. When I'm at a game, my eyes are focusing on the court, of course. I look up at the scoreboard because I'm paying attention to fantasy, and I want to see the numbers, and of course I want to pay attention to fouls and yeah. timeouts and all this kind of stuff. But then I also I also like to look at the bench. Just just for and 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 speaking of the bench, we can get into rotations because the closing rotation I think is something we'll probably want to talk about. Mm-hmm. But I, I I like to look at the body language of the bench, the interaction between the players, the bench, the coaches. And everybody, to a man, to a team man, to a Westbrook who was on the bench for the entire fourth quarter, I think, uh, everybody was into it. Bob Covington was going nuts. I mean, every, 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 pl- every great defensive stop, every, every make, every and one, every contentious call, be it, be it an elbow to the face of Mason Plumley, hmm. the bench was up and, and really engaged and going for it. So I, I know it's not necessarily the recipe for championship or playoff success, but the vibes were up and were good with not only Clipper nation, but the bench, which I was keeping my eye on as well. That's good. Um, and I, I want to continue off what you were saying about zoo, because it's no surprise that zoo missed four of the first five games out of the all-star break and the Clippers lost all four. Uh, it's just it's not a surprise and it shows you how important zoo is to this team defensively because frankly this team has been getting cooked defensively and zoo is back and the clippers allow 95 points to the knicks and zoo now three and one with um is his record with the clippers after the all-star break so he is clearly a key you and i have talked about it all year that it's pg and Kawhi, and then we've talked about how the third most important clipper is probably going to be Zoo after that. And there have been moments where we've said Batum is probably up there. Terrence Mann has thrown his hand up. But in terms of being an actual, like, you need this guy to succeed, it's Zoo. I mean, he he is your number three guy. And when he was out with the calf issue, I believe it was, then the Clippers showed their weaknesses. And they showed their weaknesses in two different ways. First off, they showed that Plumlee is a good backup, but he's not the the key to starting with your team and look at it defensively. The other thing that's a massive reason why this team failed with Zoo sitting out was the necessity for Ty Lue to go small. And you and I talked about the small lineup in the last podcast and how disastrous it has been with the Clippers just not rebounding and guys being thrown in there that shouldn't be in a small lineup. I mean, you would think Robert Covington would be in that small lineup. And what did we say when he appeared in that game? Uh, We said, I would not be surprised if we don't see him again. And he gets DMP CD'd. And that's been the case. I mean, he has not been a part of the rotation. So all those hopes that people have of Robert Covington need to go away because he's just not coming back in this rotation. Uh, But yeah, I mean, you put Zoo on the bench and he's not playing, it's Plumley, and then who are you going to have as the backup center? And that's why getting Plumley was so important, because now you don't need to go small very often. You have Zoo as your starter, and then you have Plumley that can come in and play 15 to 20 minutes. So it's very important the Clippers got a backup, but it's even more important that Zoo is healthy. Absolutely. That, and that's the thing. You, you, you hit the nail on the head, because Plumley, as much as, you know, as, as much as Steve Clifford loved to start him on the Hornets. Unfortunately, the guy as great as he is, he's not a starting center in this league. Zoo, however, I mean, he just changes the dynamic of the team and it, it was palpable when when he would come in, not that there's a sense of safety, but it's like, okay, perhaps we can restore order here because I I felt like Ty Lu was a little a little loose 
with his substitutions in that I wish that he had put Zoo back. Like there was it was audible from from some of the Clippers fans. Where's Zoo? Maybe they put him in a minute or two after mm-hmm. we we all would have hoped that he would have come in. But when he gets in there, it's it's thumbs up for the Clips. Yeah. And so what's number three? Well, number th- well number three. I I I just said number three was the. Oh. The bench. Oh, right, right. Okay, so you paired uh, those bench, two together. Right, right. Okay, was, yeah, was yeah. the bench coming up, yeah. I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, those, those would be my top three. Number four is that op- – I guess optimism is – I wouldn't say sky high because it's – you know, there it, there's a, there's going to be a slog ahead. But mm-hmm. what we're looking at right now, like, like you mentioned, so the Clippers are rising in the standings. The Suns currently are – as we record this, are losing by – over 20 to the Warriors. So anything can happen in this shuffle. And uh, my number four takeaway and the last one from this Knicks game before we move on to any others was, I guess there's, was there 13 games left for the Clips? It's going to be incredibly interesting and even more so important that we continue this win, these winning ways because it is all shuffling at the moment. It's crazy what's happening in, in the West right now. Yeah, there is 13 games left, um, including a monster one on Wednesday um, that we'll talk about towards the end of the podcast because that is a huge game against Golden State. But we're also seeing what happens when the Clippers have some time between games and they're not playing a congested schedule. I mean, they won that game against Memphis. Then they had that time off between Sunday and Wednesday when they played again and beat Toronto. Then they had more time off between Wednesday and Saturday and they beat the Knicks, and now they have more time off between Saturday and Wednesday to Golden State, and then more time off between Wednesday and Saturday against Orlando. So you've got all this time off. There's no excuse not to win these games. And then you've got a pretty nice little stretch with Portland, OKC twice, New Orleans, and Chicago. I mean, that that's another really nice stretch of five games that are very winnable, especially with four of those being at home, before it gets more difficult towards the end with Memphis twice, at New Orleans against the Lakers, against Portland and Phoenix. I mean, some of those, there are some easy games in there, but on the road is a little bit tougher. So they're getting some wins when they need them. And you you really need to look at two guys to see why it's happening. And and that's 2-1-3. I mean, Kawhi and PG have just been playing out of this damn world right now. I mean, they had 60 points in that Clipper game. And it's funny because it kind of reminds me of what's happening with Dallas, with Luka and Kyrie when they're healthy, that those two seem to carry the scoring load. And you look and you're like, nobody else is really helping out, but they're still getting wins. And that's kind of the reason why Dallas succeeded, because those two have done well in games. And now you look at the Clippers, and those two guys are playing fantastic basketball. And we've talked about um, Kawhi at nauseum and how what an unbelievable stretch this has been for him. But also, I feel like we need to look at PG, and one turnover in 40 minutes is very un-PG-like, and we will certainly take that right now. And he's playing great basketball. He seems confident. It's funny because I I don't know if you noticed this as much when you were there, but we talked all the time about how Russell Westbrook came to this team because the other guys didn't want to carry the ball across the court and they didn't want to set up the offense. Paul George starts the second uh, quarter. Russell Westbrook was sitting on the bench. PG brings the ball up, and he didn't score in the first quarter. And all of a sudden, he goes nuts in the second quarter when the ball's in his hands. Like, I don't understand why these guys don't realize that the reason why 
you don't need a point guard at times. It's because you need to have the ball in your hands because you're the best player and you need to get going. Like that part was very interesting to me. I'm curious what you were able to uh, pick up off of that. Yeah, it's funny. Um, so to go back to the the scoring aspect of it, I, I was with I, I was there with my wife. She's a health worker and it was health worker appreciation evening. So thank thank you to her for getting me the tickets as the dog stomp around. Okay, get out of here, stay. I thought that was just you going after your keyboard and trying to look something up, but you were you, you got your dog no, making it's, appearance it's me. here. It's me. It's tap dan- It's keyboards. It's tap dancing practice. It's the dogs. I got I got the whole deal going here. <laughs> but at, at a certain point. Um, you know, Kawhi was on the floor, PG was on the bench, and we look up at the scoreboard, and, I was, and it was it was a timeout. I said, "Look at this! Look at the points for Kawhi!" And at, at the time, I believe he had like twenty nine, and then the the next highest score had five. And she was like, "Ooh, is that a problem?" And I was like, "No, like this, this is what is going to happen." Uh, you know, down the stretch, and then you know, Paul George got in, and he had his points too. But I was like, "This is why Kawhi Leonard is Kawhi Leonard, and he's back." So. I love that from a scoring standpoint. So you made a great point with the uh, with the Kyrie and and Luca sort of uh, parallel there. Paul George, I, I can't believe I failed to mention only had one turnover and eight an eight to one assist to turnover ratio is absolutely amazing. Plus twenty one, he was confident. Um, it, even the threes weren't falling, but that didn't matter. He didn't go to the line once. I don't know if you if you noticed that. Mm. Yeah. No free throws, and and still. That's usually an issue. Able, usually an issue, and he was still able to orchestrate, and and in that, in in bringing up the ball. So I didn't notice so much Paul George bringing up the ball, although I did notice how how confident and efficient he was. But I noticed what I noticed was Eric Gordon mm. bringing up the ball to close the game, and pretty much primarily Eric Gordon in that in in that fourth quarter. And, you know, the, the stats maybe don't reflect how important or just how steady of a hand he was. But, boy, it was just great to have him in that closing lineup on the floor. I thought EG was great closing out that game. And uh, I, I think that's a closing, a winning closing lineup that they, that they went with. I mean, a senior was in there, so perhaps that was a, a Knicks thing. I'm not quite sure. But having EG there in, in, in the lineup and Russ on the bench was great. We'll hit on EG in a second, but the one thing that's interesting, you look at Kawhi and you look at PG, is how often have we talked about how um, we hate the mentality that PG has had, where he need, where he says he's that number two guy on the Clippers, and that there are so many times where he's passive, and he was passive in that first quarter, and then finally he got going, and the reason why the Clippers have been playing so well is because Paul George is playing really well. Um, Justin Wilson cranked the numbers. And Paul George is at 25 points, 7 rebounds, and 5 assists in his last 20 games on 47% from the field, 35% from 3, and 88% from the free throw line. And just like I mentioned with Dallas, with when you have Kyrie and you have Luka and those two guys playing well, it really covers up a lot of the issues that you have on your team. And the same goes when PG and Kawhi are playing as well as they are. Then you can have those blips where Batum is one of four from the field and misses all three of his threes, where Terrence Mann is one for six, where Plumlee's one for four. When you only have one guy off the bench, and that's Eric Gordon that's actually doing much, when your two stars are playing as well as they are, then you don't really need as much from the other guys. There's not as much pressure on the other guys. There's not as much cries from Clippers fans 
yelling for certain players like Terrence Mann and that and the like because those two guys are covering up any sort of issue. Now, that's not going to continue to happen every single game, but when you have Paul George and Kawhi playing as well as they are, it's certainly step one, step two, and probably step three to the Clippers making some sort of run in the playoffs. And who knows how deep of a run they can actually make with this team, especially with the rotations. But when your two stars are two of the best 10 to 15 players in the NBA and they're playing as well as they are, then Matt, you have a chance to win every single game. And it really, it does, it boils down to, to the playoffs. Like you said, I mean, yeah, who knows how lo- how many regular season games they can keep this up, but in a seven-game series where you need to win, obviously, four out of seven, that's a recipe for success, to have these guys playing the way they are and to have Kawhi Leonard, who, honestly, I mean, I mean, you know, I, I guess still talk about him because he's Kawhi Leonard. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to keep being effusive in my praise because it looked a couple of times like he was stuck on the baseline or he's stuck yeah. on the perimeter, and he just... Does a does a pump fake or he does a a quick dribble move and just gets around people, gets to the rim or finds the right thing to do. So if these two guys are playing in Paul George and Kawhi the, the way that they have been, I think I think a deep run is not only possible but probable is probably too strong of a word, but it's possible. Yeah, and it's it, possible. And to add to give some numbers to what what you're saying in this last like 30 plus games, just into the numbers on this too. Kawhi's at 27.7 rebounds, four assists on 53% from the field, which is crazy given given his volume. 47% from three, which is also insane. And 90% from the line, which is kind of what we expect to see from him. I mean, Kawhi, the Kawhi Leonard that we were expecting is back. And how frustrating was it that we had to deal with all the nonsense at the start of the season because of obviously the ACL stuff, but... There's a reason why he struggled to start. I mean, you've got to remember that the guy had ACL surgery, and we are less than two years out, I believe, from it, and he's playing back to the level that he was at before, which is pretty hard to comprehend that he is playing as well as he is. And we talked about it before the season, and I adjusted on the podcast at some point, and we talked about how the first couple months um, are going to be kind of up and down, but we really expected the first two to four weeks to be the worst in terms of it more being a training camp for Kawhi, but it took longer than that. And it felt it's more like the first 35 games or so was a training camp for Kawhi and a chance to get back to where he was. But the fact that he is back to where he is now and the Clippers have PG playing as well. He is as he is. And zoo is back healthy does give you some optimism. I mean, I was at the bottom of the basement with this team. There's no doubt about it. And I'm not all the way out yet. Um, I do have my concerns. But the fact is that Kawhi and PG are two of the best players in the league, and they're playing out of their damn mind. So I'll take it. I mean, I'll certainly take it. And it's going to take a lot from Kawhi and PG. And my only problem is, and I said this to you so many times during the season, that with the Clippers um, messing around, And losing games earlier in the year, it puts so much more pressure on them now in these final 13 games. And so you're having to play PG 40 minutes. You're having to play Kawhi Leonard between 35 and 40 minutes. And you're going to put a lot on those legs going into the postseason. And that's why I'm concerned that this team can't make a long postseason run. Because I just don't think, like, I don't think this team is going to have it in them. I think they're going to be so exhausted from all the minutes that are put on these guys' legs trying to get out of that top um, or get out of that play-in tournament that maybe they don't have it when the season um, 
is over and you're in the playoffs. But for now, I mean, we've got to enjoy that these two guys are playing at the level they are because it's not often you have two guys on your team that are as good as they are, Matt, and this is the case right now, that you have PG and Kawhi playing at a very high level. I agree, but with, with that they're playing at a high level, but Brandon, with 13 games left, with the playoffs approaching, with, like you said, the it wasn't necessarily rest, like Kendrick, per- Kendrick Perkins would have you believe. It was obviously they were, had real injuries, but yeah. don't you think that I think these guys playing this minutes, th- this many minutes may be good. This is what's going to have to happen. Like we were just saying, it's going to have to, if they want to win a championship or go anywhere close to that. Yeah. These guys are going to have to play this amount of minutes. There's 13 games left in the regular season. If these guys can't play this amount of minutes for 13 more games and then go into the playoffs, then there's no chance. Then they might as well just pack it in and get their tickets for Cabo now because 40 minutes for PG, 37 for Kawhi against the Knicks, 40 for Kawhi, 39 against the Raptors, and then 35 for PG, 38 for Kawhi. Well, guess what? That's what's going to have to happen in these next 13 games and in the playoffs. So if they if they can't handle it, then then it then it's then it's over. So I there there's going to be no let up. So they better be able to handle it. But can they handle it for 25 to 30 games? They're, they're going to have to. I mean, maybe they can or maybe they can't. But um, that's a lot to there, ask. There, there, there are no more rest days. That, that's what I'm saying. Like if they can handle it, then we got a chance. If they can't, then. But I think they can handle it. Eh, you may see a rest day on Sunday with uh, well, Kawhi. Okay, well, yeah. maybe, maybe there's a rest day. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> just saying, you you may see a rest day with Kawhi um, on Sunday. I'll be curious to see what happens with that game because I, I had the optimism that um, he would play in the last back to back, but the Clippers went to overtime and double overtime. I believe it was against Sacramento, and it just that yeah. threw that out the window that he was going to have any chance to play in that back to back with Golden State and Sacramento. Uh, what's so funny is you can't you can't obviously hindsight is twenty twenty and you can't yeah. look back what what happened is but had we won that game had we beat the nug I mean like there's 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 a world where we're in or competing for the third even second spot right now had had those had those games out of the All Star break not gone yeah a certain way yeah I mean it's probably more likely that you'd be sitting above the Suns and and be in that four spot and you'd be a lot more comfortable right now as opposed to sitting just one game out of the play-in tournament, which is obviously not very comfortable. But the one thing is um, about this Saturday-Sunday back-to-back, and I just want to point this out quickly, and then we can kind of move on, is that Saturday's a noon game, and then Sunday's at 6. So that does give you a little bit of optimism. Um, and the Saturday game's at home, the Sunday game's on the road. So that's the only thing, is that you're going home to road, and it's at Portland. But if the Clippers do take care of business against Orlando on Saturday, and you're able to limit the amount of minutes that Kawhi plays... It's possible that you see both guys, uh, Kawhi and PG, play Saturday, Sunday in that back-to-back. But we'll see. I mean, there, there's no way to know now. Um, but it's just something that interesting that I thought I'd point out. Um, and, but, and and I do, uh, speaking of that Magic game, yeah, um, that is at home. And I want to throw it out to anybody in the Sports Ethos Clipper Nation I know, I know, I know. Friday is St. Patrick's Day, so if there are any magic in town and you want to treat them to a few extra uh, Jamesons or whatever the case may be, feel free. Uh, you know, Brandon and I are all for it. You know, just uh, let them have fun. A couple of Guinnesses or whatever the case may be. You're here in LA. Take them to the to Magic Kingdom down here. Keep them out late. It, you know, any Magic players that you see, don't don't hesitate to buy them an extra drink or two. There you go. There you go. Get the Magic drunk. That should be a. Uh... 
That should be the uh, title of the podcast, Get the Magic Drunk. Um, all right, let's talk about Eric Gordon. And I think it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with a couple other guys, um, one of them being Russell Westbrook, because Russell Westbrook has not been playing very much in the fourth quarter of the last couple of games. Um, Eric Gordon has been part of that closing lineup. And we're seeing Marcus Morris's minutes um, kind of go up and down. But it seems like Ty still trusts him. Last we spoke, we thought Morris was going to leave the starting lineup. That did not happen. Um, he's Ty has a lot of confidence in Marcus. And he's been playing a little bit better. But who knows, come playoff time. But he did show that he has the ability to bench Marcus in certain times. And who will play two more. But let's kind of talk about Eric Gordon, Russell Westbrook, and the closing lineup. Curious to get your thoughts because you brought it up earlier. So get, tell me what you uh, are thinking. I'm thinking that Ty Lu did his due diligence, if that's the way to put it. Or he was like, look, I I tried. I tried, guys. To, to whoever whoever's listening, I tried to put, to put Russell Westbrook in the closing lineup. And it didn't work, so... Now it's my turn to show you how how I can put together a rotation in the fourth quarter. And I think Eric Gordon is the key piece to that because he's a guy that can bring up the ball. And we're, like we were saying, it, the, Paul George was great bringing it up. All, the, Kawhi can do it. But gosh, it just he's a competent player. He's been in the league for so long. And so is Westbrook. But Westbrook just cannot set up an offense, cannot defer cannot set uh, on off ball screens or on ball screens like like Eric Gordon can. I mean he's just he's just a guy that you feel confident in closing in games and guess what? He stretches the floor, especially if Zubats is on the floor at the same time. So, it's just a much better fit and I feel like Ty Lu if he if he wasn't always building towards this then I'd be surprised cuz I I can't in my mind imagine that he as a as a as a coach with a ring, one of the most well respected coaches, the he thought that it was a good idea to have Westbrook closing. No way, no how. And I hope this is the well, I know it's gonna be the, the way going forward because they're winning now. So what why would there be any way that they would change it up? Yeah, I think that the main takeaway is that um it seems like Tyloo has finally decided that enough is enough, perhaps. And has figured out what has worked with Russell Westbrook, who, by the way, has been pretty decent with the Clippers. And we've said all along, I mean, I I was dead wrong. I thought he was going to be way worse. I thought he was not going to be able to change the way he played. But give credit to him. He, I mean, I've said this before um, that I was wrong on. I'll say it again, that he has bought in, which is certainly great. Now, will that continue come playoff time when he may want to be the guy? Um, Hopefully it does continue. Uh, but I think what we are seeing is that there are certain lineups and certain things that make sense with Russell Westbrook. And closing a game is probably not the best for him, but if you can have him as part of that bench unit and um, have him with Paul George and show how comfortable they are together, it works. And you look at what Westbrook was able to do when he played 23 minutes and he had seven points, five rebounds, three assists, and a steal. His turnovers are still an issue. And how many times are we going to see Russell Westbrook, by the way, miss layups? I feel like it happened in the Detroit game, but it happened even more so against Toronto. Uh, probably not Detroit, the New York game. And then against Toronto as well, where the guy just goes at full speed and just misses layups. And it's Yeah, it's a, it's a million miles an hour, and everybody gets excited, and yeah. then the ball just 
caroms off the backboard. Like he just threw it against as hard as he can. Yeah, I mean, the reason why you made that Eric Gordon trade is because you didn't really trust what Reggie Jackson was doing at the end of ball games. Luke Kennard was a guy that you didn't trust enough to be that ball handler. And you brought in Eric Gordon, who was able to get downhill, attack the rim, and more importantly, he was able to spread the floor. I mean, the guy can shoot from 30 feet and be very comfortable doing so. And so when you have the ability to have a guy on the floor that can shoot from 30 feet but also attack the rim, it causes a lot of problems on opposing defenses. And so Eric Gordon is stepping into that role with no norm right now, and he seems comfortable. And it's a very important uh, thing to have is another guy that can be there alongside Norm that can stretch defenses and get to the hoop. And Eric Gordon's done just that. And sure, Russell Westbrook can attack the hoop, but he can't stretch defenses. He doesn't respect, he's not respected by opposing teams. And that's the problem when you have him on the floor is that you can have somebody on the floor that is not a good defender and just stick him out on Westbrook and doesn't have to be tight to him. So that's why Eric Gordon's been really important. And, I, and I'm glad to see that um, Ty has figured it out, at least for now. I mean, it, it feels like we had an issue with Marcus Morris. We wanted to see more Nick, Nick, Nico Batum. Batum only played 16 minutes in that game against the Knicks, but Morris was decent enough where he kind of earned that playing time. So I think the key thing right now, and it has been since the, the five-game losing streak since the All-Star break, was Russell Westbrook was there, and there was something going on there. So, uh, yes, Russell Westbrook has looked good with the Clippers, but the reason why the Clippers lost games is because the rotations were thrown out of whack and guys weren't performing as well to their cap- uh, what they're capable of. But now you have Russell Westbrook's limits be- minutes being limited a little bit, and it's no surprise he plays less than 25 minutes, and all of a sudden the Clippers are winning a couple of, winning a couple of games. Absolutely, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. He, perhaps Westbrook is not respected by other teams, but I'll tell you who he is respected by is his teammates yeah. and and sports ethos clipper nation and clipper nation at large he got the biggest and i mean the biggest applause and it wasn't even close during the starting lineups mm-hmm. when they were introducing like Kawhi and pg and zoo and 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 senior all got their applause but the crowd went nuts when they introduced westbrook and i don't know if that's a a, a function of him being a lakers pariah of him being a ucla guy whatever the case may be but they went nuts and then he's 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 pumping up the bench so he, we may have underestimated his impact off the floor, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I think the one thing that we've talked about um, when it comes to the Clippers in the locker room was it kind of didn't feel like they had that like locker room guy, the one that can hold people accountable and be vocal. I mean, Kawhi is quiet as a mouse, it seems. PG is just not that dude. Marcus Morris, eh. And then you look at what the Clippers have had in the past, guys like Pat Bev, who have held guys accountable. I mean, you look at the Clippers team right now. Amir Coffey, in terms of who played minutes in the Knicks game, Amir Coffey played one minute, so not going to include him. Man, Gordon, Plumlee, Batum. I mean, is there anybody really in there that's going to be really vocal? Maybe Nico Batum. Then you have Westbrook, Zoo, Morris, Kawhi, PG. Westbrook's really the most vocal guy there, and he's up cheering when he's on the bench. He's really bought in, and... You need to know how important it is to have a good locker room. And Westbrook seems to be meshing with these guys. And if that's going to be the case, and he's going to buy into his role, in addition to being that guy off the floor that's rooting for his teammates and he's holding people accountable, it's a good fit. And there would yes. certainly a good story if he's able to make this work and help the Clippers um, go deep into the playoffs after 
the narratives that have been written, including on the, this podcast. But we are seeing Eric Gordon's importance, why he should be playing more minutes than Russell Westbrook, but at the same time, not going to slander Russell Westbrook because in limited minutes, he's doing some things that the Clippers need, and that is providing that juice and providing that tempo and being that guy that can be a welcome screener. So he's doing things that the Clippers certainly need. Yes, and if he can if he can buy into his role, that only backs up everything that Ty Lue is going to want and try to do into yeah. the playoffs. So everybody is going to follow him. And you mentioned T Man, who who is not per, who's not perhaps the leader behind the scenes, but you look at. And we'll let's, we'll go back a game to the Raptors game, and he was huge in that game. I mean, he yeah. played 29 minutes. He was efficient as all heck. And if if Westbrook embraces his role, and T Man then by proxy embraces his role as maybe not every night, but some of these nights, I'm going to need to come in here and have a Utah type performance. Then we're going to have. Then we're going to start get. We're going to get something going here as far as gelling is concerned. If if if. Like if a guy like Westbrook, uh, an MVP, a, a future Hall of Famer, you know, leader in triple doubles uh, th- throughout the history of the NBA, or at least one of them, if he buys into what Ty Lue is is selling, then I think it then yeah, some some good things can happen. Yeah. So let's look ahead to what the Clippers have next, and that is Golden State at home, um, a team that's caused Clippers problems. I mean, no Steph Curry, and the Clippers lost big time. At Golden State, one fifteen to ninety one, played him at home and beat him one thirty four to one twenty four, um, and then I believe they played him one more time earlier this year. They did at Golden State. They lost one twenty four to one oh seven. So this is a pretty big game, um, the fourth game they've lost three of or two of three so far against Golden State. They're not must wins at this point. Like I understand, like every game is important. I think that. It does come as close to a must-win without actually being a must-win, though, because you look at the standings, and you mentioned Golden State's beating Phoenix. All of a sudden, that puts Golden State into a tie with the Clippers in the standings. You lose to Golden State, all of a sudden you slip to that sixth spot, and all it takes is one Minnesota win to vault them ahead of you. So it's a really important game. Um, In soccer, they call it a six-pointer when you have two teams fighting relegation or two teams trying to win um, the Premier League where you have guys, it's a a six-pointer. You get three uh, points for a win. So if the other team doesn't get it, all of a sudden they fall behind you where they could have gotten those points, and the same thing goes the bottom of the standings. So this is big, man. Uh, It's a really big game, and I think we're going to see the one thing that we haven't really seen is the Clippers face a team that is top, top. I mean, you look at the standings, and sure, Memphis has been good. But uh, this is a different Memphis team without John Morant, without Steven Adams, without Brandon Clark. So, sure, they've been good at certain points. But no no jaw. Then you look at Toronto. They've been struggling. The Knicks are Knicks have been good, but not amazing. But you face a Golden State team with Steph and Clay and Draymond. I think this game will kind of show us what the Clippers are made of and if they can actually beat a good team with their superstars. So I'm curious to see how they look, Matt. Yeah, it's it's, it's unfortunate because it, it, it's almost an Ant-Man situation. It, it's it's it, that we have to play the Warriors. It's like, I don't have to win. We just both have to lose. Mm. But we're playing each other. So somebody's going to win. 
And it's really about stay like we've said from day one, it's about staying out of this play-in. I mean, Golden, Golden State's gonna come with the Fury. We know that. Um, they probably won't have Wiggins, but we won't have Norm. So, you know, do with that what you will. I think well, Golden State, it's a home game, right? For the Clippers? Yeah. Okay, so automatic win against the Warriors. Never mind. I don't even know why we're talking about it because they can't win on the road. But uh, that's a good point. Sh- should they should they be close enough to San Francisco that they put up a fight? Um, it it will be it will be a strong test. And then I have I have a a look down the line to a two game stretch um, against the Thunder where I believe and I really do believe that the Clippers are going to have it in there. They're going to be thinking about the beginning of the season. Remember, remember how the Thunder sort of ran the oh, Clippers yeah. off of the court? Oh, yeah. It's a long, it's a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the beginning of the season. Yeah, they lost I, both games I, at OKC. Yep. And I think these two games at home against the Thunder are going to be where where the Clippers... I think, I think that's where the Clippers enact the step-on-the-throat mentality. It's like, okay... Let's not only prove that that was a fluke back in the in the beginning of the season. Who can even remember that all the way back back then? But let's let's show that moving forward. But I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself against the Warriors. Yeah, it's going to be a tough, tough, tough contest. Uh, defense will be the uh, the name of the game, and I don't think. I mean, I know Looney's a kind of a beast on the boards, but I, I, I think as long as the Clippers take care of the ball. And can just get some some sort of rebounding edge. Yeah, they should be okay. Well, and that's this is kind of the team that you can face off against if you kind of want to go small ball because they've got Draymond. Who they do as the small ball five, and they also have Looney, like you said, who's sure he's a center. But I mean, the reason why the Clippers had so much so much success, part of the reason why they did against Memphis in the small ball is because Memphis doesn't really have a typical center. I mean, they've got Jaron Jackson who will spread the floor, and Xavier Tillman has kind of been the guy that has stepped in in place of Steven Adams with Brandon Clark hurt. So there are certain teams that can cause you problems. I mean, you would have thought Toronto would have been a team that could have really caused the Clippers problems because of Jakob Pertl. And you look at what Pertl did in his 30 minutes, and he was a minus two. So it's not like he was bad on the floor. It's just that other guys, that when they were on the floor more than him, um, that's when they kind of got hurt. But the, in that game, by the way, Westbrook had the plus 12. So he had the best plus minus in his 23 minutes. So he showed his impact. And again, Paul George and Kawhi in that game, by the way, had 47 minutes, uh, 47 points. So they're, the Clippers have shown in games against Toronto and games against Memphis that they can kind of go um, with a traditional center and cause problems. And also they can go with a small ball against certain teams and cause problems. So things that we were worried about in the past kind of maybe starting to show that maybe we shouldn't be as worried about. So that's why I feel like we're always on here saying, look at the next game. That'll kind of show us something. But the Golden State game will show us how much the Clippers want this. And PG said we have to come out with the same urgency that we did when they did a couple of games ago, um, when really the sky was falling against the Grizzlies, where you and I were texting and we're like, this is this is over. I mean, the, the Clippers' season's ending. And they obviously had that incredible comeback. And they ended up winning that game where things were about to look really bleak and they were going to lose their sixth in a row against the Grizzlies. And he said, we need to have the same urgency coming out that we did at the in the fourth quarter. And frankly, they didn't in, in initially um, against the Raptors. So 
we'll see if they have that urgency against the Golden State Warriors. And that's what I'll be looking for is in that first quarter, do the Clippers have that urgency that they know how important this game is? Do they know that they need to win this game to help them a lot to avoid the play-in tournament? That's what I'll be curious to see is what they come out with in that first quarter, Matt. They need that mentality. Can I ask you a question about this Warriors Clippers game? Actually, I, yeah. I, I don't usually I don't usually ask you for predictions, but I'm going to ask you right now. Who between Draymond Green mm-hmm. and our beloved Russell Westbrook? Who do you think is is granted more wide open threes in this game? Mm. I would say Draymond. I'm thinking. I, I I tend to agree. I think Draymond's going to get three to three and a half wide open threes, and I think Russell Westbrook's going to get about two. I don't think Westbrook will be in that spot. Um, I he's, he's going to. I think he's going to be in the corner for one three, where he's just like, screw it, I'm throwing it up. Yeah, I just think he'll be smarter than that and play within the offense because he's shown that he's buying in, and I think he's smart enough to know that that's not the shot he, the Clippers want. He took a couple of threes, uh, yeah. or at least one. Yeah, <laughs> when I was there, uh, that. Uh, and and there was nobody around him. Uh, I think he took yeah he's zero for two. And I don't think that there was a Nick. Uh, they they actually were they were back in Brooklyn or they were in the one of the boroughs as he was taking that. Yeah yeah, I, and he he didn't make his threes. I think he was zero for two in that next game. So we'll see what happens in that Golden State game. Um, I still think the Clippers are going to lose that game. By the way, um, I, against I, against against the Warriors. I do. Um, I think that just Curry and Draymond um, and Clay are going to be too much of an issue. And I think Jordan Poole is a guy that can certainly get hot off the bench. And uh, I just don't think the Clippers have shown me enough. I mean, the last three games, they've been good, no doubt. But uh, I just don't know. I just don't know if they've had that urgency all year. And I'm not sure they can just turn the switch. And it feels like they are a team that thinks they can turn the switch. And I'm welcome to being proved wrong. But uh, I just don't know if they win this game. I believe they will win. I think Zoo is going to double double. I think Zoo is going to have a huge game. This is going to be this is going to be a classic early season Zubats when we were when fantasy managers were like, "Oh my god, do we have a 24 and 14 guy in our hands?" Mm. I think it's one of those deals. And Kawhi, where while he may while he may start off slow, the fourth watch Kawhi in the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter Kawhi against this Warriors team, especially if it's close. He he's gonna he's 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 gonna have a little um who do you hurt who do you hurt his ankle against um I don't from know the Warriors that. I'm not sure uh well whatever whoever it is it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a Kawhi fourth quarter I promise you that okay all right typical prediction we'll see we're on opposite sides we'll see who wins um, between the two of us hopefully I'm wrong I, I hope I'm wrong so. That'll do it for this podcast. Um, we are back, and we are back with 45-plus minutes of Clippers content. So hope you enjoyed that. Remember, you can always follow me on Twitter at BDMarcus. You can follow Matt at Matt Mattawarren on Twitter. At Ethos Clippers is the Twitter handle for the podcast. Of course, you can rate and review the podcast as well. It always does help when you give us that five-star rating and give us a review as well. So until next time, I'm Brandon. He's Matt. And go clips. Go clips. <laughs>